0: There's a graphic now going around on social media. 10 ways you can actively reject your white privilege. The people pushing this are serious. And then they suggest that we must all abide by the strictures recommended in this post if we wish for a better country. So let's deconstruct this nonsense. Okay, number one says take up minimal space during anti racism dialogues and protests. Minimal space? I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Should white people who don't like themselves put themselves in, like, mime boxes? Should they take Alice in Wonderland potion and shrink down? Or better yet, should they simply stop showing up? What's the big worry here? Manspreading? Intimidation of the people who happen not to share skin color, but who share the same ideas regarding politics? I'd recommend that leftists lighten up, but they'd probably think that was racist. They They then say, second, stop contributing to gentrification and calling it urban development. Stop investing in downtrodden areas and building nice homes and shops, people. Keep those downtrodden areas racially segregated. At least they're historic. The last thing we would want is people in those historic areas to have jobs and safer neighborhoods and nice restaurants. They must be relegated to poverty for the sake of the character of the place. Three, listen when people call you on your microaggressions. I suppose this means not jumping from the nearest window, which is actually kind of a sacrifice. Four, never invite people of color to the table for the sake of claiming diversity. I actually agree with this one. How about we just invite people to the table who are interesting and have knowledge rather than judging them by their skin color? But you know who doesn't agree? Hillary Clinton. She actually suggested having a black person to be named later in her cabinet for the sake of claiming diversity. Five, refrain from using your non white friends as your urban dictionary. Not sure who does this. Who turns to their black friend and asks them to decode rap songs? Anybody? Then again, if you actually talk about black cultural hallmarks and you're not black... Then you're white white-explaining, or you're engaging in cultural appropriation. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. Six, stop lifting up non-confrontational people of color as example of what people of color activism should be. Stop talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Instead, let's pretend that the Black Panthers and early Malcolm X were better examples of black liberation, even if they actually resulted in, you know, counterproductive backlashes that hurt their causes. It's not like non-violent resistance has actually succeeded in America or anything. Seven, Call your friends, family, and coworkers out on racism, even if a person of color isn't in the room. This actually seems like a good idea. Like this post that we're discussing right now. It's racist. Eight, understand that all anti-racism work doesn't look the same and advocate accordingly. This means that you should let everybody do what they please, up to and including riots in Ferguson, presumably. Nine, realize that all discussions about race aren't for you, and be okay with it. You see, if you're called racist, or if we're discussing racism, you should shut up, because you're white. It's not for you. Yeah, it's about you, and yeah, you're the problem, and yeah, you suck, but shut up. That's not racism, you know, to tell white people to shut up when discussing how much they suck. That's rejecting white privilege. It's your privilege to speak, so we have to reject that privilege. Ten, recognize that you're still racist no matter what. Well... I mean, to be honest, this sort of defeats the purpose of points one through nine. We could just skip to this one and then do whatever we want anyway, since we'll never actually be able to escape our white privilege. So thanks, leftists, for ensuring that racism lives on and forcing people to shut up based on skin color. You've done us all a real service, at least in exposing your own moral benightedness. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. You know, every time you think that you've actually parodied the left- Sufficiently, they parody themselves and it all goes out the window. Uh, I want to talk a lot about Trump care today because. The new Congressional Budget Office report is out, and it basically sucks. There's a bunch in it that is not true, or there's a bunch in it that is based on faulty premises, and the entire left is going totally insane over it. And clearly, there is a division of opinion about the CBO report from the right as well. You have some people like Paul Ryan who are touting the CBO report because he hit his head on something hard when he was a child, and you have some people in the Trump administration saying the CBO report doesn't mean anything, even though they used to cite the CBO report about Obama. We'll get to all of that in just a second. But first, we have to say thank you to our sponsors at Bull and Branch. So, if you are somebody who really does not sleep well, one of the reasons you're not sleeping well, I would guess, is because the quality of your sheets is terrible. I know this because this was my problem. I used to sleep on the most uncomfortable sheets. I mean, it was like stuff that you bought at the local 7-Eleven in the parking lot from the shady guy who probably stole it from a truck somewhere. And it was all garbage. And I didn't know the difference. You know, they say thread count, a 1,000. i mean, like, ooh, 1,000 is better than 900. That means that that is an awesome sheet. And it turns out that it actually is just the tarp that the homeless guy used to cover the, the dumpster in back of the store. Well, actually... If you want a solid sheet, you know, like a a sheet that is going to allow you to breathe. It's a breathable sheet. They're really comfortable. They're so comfortable, I've now bought, I think, three or four pairs of these on my own um, because they're so good. Bull and branch sheets are the place to do it. I think three ex-presidents sleep on bull and branch sheets, plus Bill Clinton's lovers, presumably— you'll be so comfortable that you will fall asleep faster and you'll sleep deeper and you'll wake up refreshed which is a big thing if you're not getting enough sleep if you if you work hard bolen brand sheets are absolute quality they're crafted from 100% organic cotton they also look fantastic. They are better looking sheets than the crap that you're likely to get at your local save on. So make sure that you go over to bowlandbranch.com right now. And they are cheaper than most of the designer customer sheets because they are really it's direct to consumer. So it's really specific, It's it's terrific stuff. I can't I can't praise their products more highly. Today, BollandBranch.com today. B-O-L-L and Branch.com today. You'll get fifty dollars off your first set of sheets plus free shipping when you use the promo code Ben. So use that promo code Ben. The sheets are usually like some of them are like two hundred bucks. So that means that if you get a $50 discount, you're getting a pretty steep discount on that. And you do that when you use promo code BEN. Sounds like a lot of money. It really isn't. The sheets are really high quality, they're going to last you for a really long time. Plus, they're so good that you're not going to want to sleep on anything else. They definitely spoil you. Bullandbranch.com today. Bullandbranch.com. B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code Ben. Use that promo code Ben to get the $50 discount. Plus, it means that uh, they know that we sent you, which is helpful to the podcast. All So, let's jump right in here. So, the, the CBO comes out with its new report, on the, on the Obamacare replacement bill. And it is not a flattering report. It is not a good report. And you wouldn't expect it to be a good report because the bill is actually really not a good bill. As I've stated before, there are a bunch of problems with the bill, so it's not a shock that the CBO didn't like the bill. But let's go through some of the things that are in the bill. So Robert Krejcik over at Daily Wire has a pretty good breakdown on what's in this thing the stuff that republicans like is that the deficit is supposed to go down. So right now that's important because there are certain bills in place that say that if the CBO estimates that costs will go up, then it's very hard to pass a bill. If you say that the C- if the CBO says the cost will go down, then it's easier to pass a bill. One of the reasons this is stupid is because the CBO is wrong about Pretty much everything. The CBO report on Obamacare is just incorrect. When they estimate that a lot of coverage is going to happen through Medicaid, they're assuming a bunch of states are going to expand their Medicaid in accordance with Obamacare they're not doing that. So they're assuming states that haven't joined Medicaid will join Medicaid or expand their Medicaid rather, and that's not happening. So the CBO reports are very, very flawed. But the CBO here estimates the budget deficit will be $559 billion in fiscal year 2017. But they say that the American Health Care Act, this is Trump Care, would reduce federal deficits $337 billion over nine years. Now, the real number is like over a trillion dollars over the next nine years. But then we give a bunch of tax cuts. They say that this takes away from the government. So it actually is only going to reduce the deficit by about $400 billion, $337 billion. Now, there's a problem with this, too, which is that it's assuming that everything is going to stay the same. The level of subsidy is going to stay the same. Congress is not going to come along and try and fill in coverage gaps by providing bigger subsidies or bigger tax credits. So I don't actually believe that the deficit is going to really drop under this bill, because there has never yet been a government-subsidized program where the deficit decreases. It just doesn't happen that way. The bill, uh, the, the CBO also says... That the, that the number of uninsured is going to rise. So by 2018, they say 14 million more people would be uninsured than under current law, according to the CBO's estimate. And they say that most of this 14 million person increase would be people who are currently purchasing health insurance because they are forced to do so by the government. And then they would just stop doing it because they don't want to pay the penalty. So the left is jumping on this to suggest that people are being thrown off their health insurance. No, most people just don't want to buy the stupid stuff because it's too expensive and it's crap. And once they're not forced to buy it, they will stop buying it and we'll talk about this in a little while because the left keeps saying now that this means people are going to die. People are going to die because of Trump care. No. They say that by 2026 52 million people would be uninsured according to their estimate and they estimate that there would only be 28 million people if the status quo of the of the Obamacare administration was maintained. There is a problem with this, however. Okay, so I will explain this problem with this chart. Here is a this, this is eighteen uh, CBO. Uh, this is this is what the CBO estimated would be the enrollment in Obamacare over time. Right? And so what you can see here, if you're, if you're watching, is you can see several different lines. Right? You can see that there's the CBO's estimate as of 2010, the CBO's estimate as of 2012, the CBO's estimate as of 2014, and then you have here the CBO's estimate of 2016, and finally you have the actual. Right? Then you have the actual. So as you can see, the actual is much, much, much lower than what the CBO estimated. So they estimated that by this time, they estimated that by 2018, 18 million people would suddenly jump into the Obamacare pool from 12 million that they estimate now, and really it's only 10 million now. Originally, in 2010 when Obamacare passed, they estimated that 22 million people would already have enrolled in Obamacare. Okay, right now it's 10 million people. So clearly the CBO doesn't know what it's talking about because you can't forecast these things. They were including, the the way the CBO estimates these things is they take sort of the projections of the administration at issue and they and they carry out their assumptions but if the assumptions are bad the assumptions are bad you can see how bad these assumptions are if you want to know what exactly how bad the cbo is at this look at that blue line right? look at that blue line and the black line because those are the cbo estimates and then look at that green line Do you see the giant disparity between the green line and the blue and, and the blue and black line up top that's how badly the CBO got this wrong on Obamacare, and now they're saying that there's going to be this great discrepancy between Trump Care and Obamacare. One of the ways that you drive up the gap between what they estimate Trump Care will be and what Obamacare will be is by following the red line. But look, the red line still isn't the green line. See, there's this giant gap, 7-8 million people between what is more likely to happen with the Obamacare exchanges and what is and what the CBO estimates. So, what the CBO is doing is they're using that red line, and then they're contrasting it with what Trump care would do, when really they should be using the green line and contrasting it with what Trump care would do, and that is a much, much smaller gap. The the CBO also says that health insurance companies are not going to survive. So despite all of the talk from Trump and team about how this is going to free up the market, it doesn't actually free up the market. They say that the market for non-group coverage insurance purchased individually would be unstable if the people who wanted to buy coverage at any offered price would have average health care expenditures so high that offering the insurance would be unprofitable. In other words, without a mandate, and this was the reason there was an Obamacare mandate, without a mandate, you don't have healthy people buying in because healthy people don't buy health insurance typically, or at least expensive health insurance. If you don't have healthy people buying in, that drives up the cost of health care for all of the other people who actually are sick, because it costs more to insure sick people than to bundle them together with healthy people. And that means costs go up, and people are thrown off their insurance. That means the premiums are going to rise, and that's what the CBO estimates. They say that the premiums in the individual market will rise before 2020, and then they say that it will decrease after 2020, because a bunch of people will basically be covered by Medicaid expansion up to 2020, and also because they think that... They think that competition at that point will kick in, and finally you'll see the premiums decrease. The problem is, 2020 is four years off from now, three years off from now, and there's no guarantee that that happens. And then finally, the CBO says, "By the way, we don't know what we're talking about." Here's what the actual report says: It says the ways in which federal agencies, states, insurers, employers, individuals, doctors, hospitals, and other affected parties would respond to the changes made by the legislation are all difficult to predict. So the estimates in the report are uncertain. But everybody's taking it as gospel. So. Number one, you shouldn't take it as gospel. That's just, let's be frank about this. The CBO, as we show in this chart, the CBO really is not correct here, and they don't know always what they are talking about. It is perfectly fair to question the CBO's forecast based on their history of bad forecast. That's not stopping Democrats from going out there and pointing out that a bunch of people are, quote-unquote, going to lose their health insurance. Now, I want to start with this premise for one second and pause. Okay, when they say that people are going to lose their health insurance, people are going to die because they lose their health insurance, if your only metric of healthcare success is how many people are covered by a, any health insurance program, whether it sucks, whether it's Medicaid, then what that means is that in the end, the only way you're actually going to get to the number you want is through nationalized healthcare. If your only measure of success is how many people are quote unquote covered, and it doesn't matter what the type of coverage is, and it doesn't matter what the quality of coverage is, it doesn't matter you, whether you can actually get a doctor through the coverage, if that's all that matters to you, then nationalized healthcare is the only solution, because nationalized healthcare means that everyone's covered. Sure, the health care coverage is crappy. Sure, you can't actually benefit from the health care coverage, but everybody is covered. And you see the left jumping into this. They say that Obamacare is better than Trump Care because Obamacare, quote unquote, covers more people. But there's no evidence that that coverage is actually making health care outcomes better. And there's a reason for that. First of all, when you don't have health insurance in America, it's not like you die on the street. Virtually everybody who has a health care problem in the United States walks into an emergency room. This is what illegal immigrants do in the state of California overburdening the system. So the idea that the alternatives are you either have some sort of government provided health insurance or you die in the waiting room, it's just not true, it's just not true. Beyond that, the vast majority of doctors actually don't accept Medicaid because Medicaid doesn't reimburse at proper rates there are studies that actually examine whether Medicaid increases life expectancy, and what they find is basically no. So there's something called the Oregon Health Insurance Experiment that actually looked at this in Oregon, and it found that it did not decrease ER visits. So one of the purposes of having Medicaid is the idea, okay, you're covered now, so you don't have to show up in the ER. It actually doubled the number of ER visits, because people thought that, they, that Medicaid just meant they were supposed to use the ER more, apparently. And when Medicaid users received more diagnostic care, which is true, It also had no statistically significant effect on several measures of physical health, including blood pressure, cholesterol, or cardiovascular risk. So the idea that being on Medicaid is a lifesaver, and if you're not on Medicaid, you die, it's just not true. Jim Garrity at National Review, he notes that as of 2015, only two-thirds of doctors took Medicaid. Only 45% of doctors took new patients on Medicaid. So a lot of people have been grandfathered in. The Manhattan Institute says, quote, The best statistical estimate for the number of lives saved each year by the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, is zero. Certainly there are individuals who have benefited from various of its provisions, but attempts to claim broader effects on public health and thousands of lives saved rely upon extrapolation from past studies that focus on the value of private health insurance. But the ACA has expanded coverage through Medicaid, not private health insurance. In fact, public health trends since the implementation of Obamacare have worsened because people have lost the private health insurance. They've been forced onto Medicaid with 80,000 more deaths in 2015 than had mortality continued declining at during the 2014-2015 rate Achieved during 2000 to 2013. In other words, the life expectancy in the United States in 2015 under Obamacare actually decreased for the first time in two decades. So since 1990, life expectancy has been de- has been increasing in the United States. It actually dropped last year under Obamacare. So suggesting that getting rid of Obamacare will actually kill people. No evidence to suggest that's the case at all. Okay, we have to pause here to say hello and thank you to one of our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So. Right now, if you are concerned, North Korea is talking about launching nuclear missiles at the United States. This is a real serious thing. Like They're actually talking about doing this. Uh, they're bragging about it all the time. Most of us kind of write that off. Okay, what's the big deal? They're never going to do it. Well, they're never going to do it until they do it. You know, Disaster never hits until it hits. Tornadoes, blizzards, earthquakes, these things don't hit until they hit. And when they do hit, you better be prepared. And that's why you need to talk to my friends over at My Patriot Supply. You can give them a call at 888-803-1413, 888 888- for $99 plus free shipping you get a four week emergency food supply people around the office have already tried it they say that it actually tastes really good Uh, so it's 99 bucks Plus free shipping, you can check it out. My Patriot Supply 888 803 1413. Go online right now. If you're watching this online, go at preparewithben.com. PreparewithBen.com. That's a four-week emergency food supply and makes sure that you and your entire family are covered for a significant period of time following a disaster in case emergency services can't get to you, in case you can't have access to the grocery store, in case the grocery stores have been have been have you know not been supplied properly. That's what this is for. It's all just to keep you safe. Make sure that you are safe. Prepare with ben.com prepare with ben.com 888 1413 Okay, so when you hear Democrats claiming that everybody is going to die because of Trump care, just recognize that that's a wild exaggeration and it's not actually true. And also, the reason that they are saying this is because they are conflating health insurance with health care. And by doing so, they're basically pushing for nationalized health care. Because if you say that the only way that America is has a good health care system is if, quote unquote, every single person is covered, you're going to end up in a position where you have to cover everybody through the government. That's just the way that this works. The truth is, what you actually want is better health care outcomes, on average, through choice. And there are a lot of ways to do that that don't involve the government. One of the reasons that the United States still has high life expectancy is because we develop new products and services. One of the reasons we do is because we have a private market. Understand that what socialism and what redistributionism do is they destroy innovation. They destroy the capacity of insurance companies to compete with one another for your services, and they destroy the capacity for pharmaceutical companies to do research and development, for hospitals to do research and development, for new drugs to be used for new surgeons to discover new surgeries. What socialism does, it freezes things in place and passes it around. And what capitalism does is it doesn't freeze things in place and pass it around, so there's more inequality under capitalism than socialism, but it allows innovation, it allows prices to drop, and that allows more people to have access. And that is the important thing. Now, the problem is that the, the Trump administration has a real divide has a real divide when it comes to how they understand what Trump care ought to be. And you can see that in how they are dealing with the CBO report, which is really quite fascinating. So Donald Trump is basically on the verge of suggesting that we ought to just let. Trump care go and let Obamacare implode, which as I said yesterday is not a solution because entitlement programs don't implode, they just get bigger. Here is Donald Trump talking about Obamacare.
1: And it's imploding and 17 will be the worst year and I said it once, I'll say it again because Obama's gone, you know, he, things are going to be very bad this year for the people with Obamacare. They're going to have tremendous increases. And the Republicans, frankly, are putting themselves in a very bad position. I tell this to Tom Price all the time, by repealing Obamacare. Because people aren't going to see the truly devastating effects of Obamacare. They're not going to see the devastation in 17 and 18 and 19. It'll be gone by that. It'll, Whether we do it or not, it'll be imploded off the map. So the press is making it, it look so wonderful, so that if we end it, Everyone's going to say, oh, remember how great Obamacare used to be. Remember how wonderful it used to be. It was so great. It's a little bit like President Obama. When he left, people liked him.
0: When he was here, people... There's actual truth to what Trump is saying here. The press is... To- propping up Obamacare, talking about how wonderful it's going to be. But the idea that Obamacare is going to implode, yes, the prices are going to skyrocket at a certain point here because people are dropping off the rolls, because people are ra- they'd rather pay the fines than pay for these high premiums. They're dropping onto Medicaid, and so they're not really paying into the system. All of that's true, but that doesn't mean Obamacare is going to implode. It just means that the media is going to say more people are covered because they're dropping from private insurance onto Medicaid. So that's number one. But I think the important gap that you're seeing here is in between Trump and the so-called conservatives, you know, like Paul Ryan, who really is not super conservative when it comes to this particular bill. The gap that you are seeing is that Donald Trump is using the left's metric for what is a successful health insurance and healthcare program. And we'll talk more about that, but you have to go over to DailyWire.com for that. So go over to DailyWire.com right now, become a subscriber. We're going to deconstruct some culture a little bit later. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Michael Brown and this new tape uh, that is broken of him. Does it change everything? DailyWire.com to check that out. $8 a month, we'll buy you a subscription. Today is the very last day for annual subscribers to get a free DVD copy of The Arroyo, a fictional film set on the southern border. Really good movie. You're going to want to watch it multiple times with your family because it's really good. DailyWire.com, annual subscribers, get that movie. Today is the very last day for that DVD so, DailyWire.com, eight dollars a month. Plus, if you just want to listen to the show a little bit later, uh, then you can always go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and check it out. And to make sure that if you go over to iTunes, make sure that you leave a review. We really appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So the disconnect between kind of the Trump wing and the Ryan wing on on Trump care is that. Trump's metric for success here is how many people are covered. And that's because during the campaign, he kept saying, don't worry, everybody's going to have health care. Everyone's going to be covered. That was not a conservative principle, and you're seeing it play out right now. So that means he looks at the CBO report, and he says the CBO report is garbage. I hate the CBO report. The CBO report's the worst thing that ever was because it says people are going to lose their coverage. And so they're arguing with the CBO. So Newt Gingrich is one of the people who's sort of parroting this Trump line that the only measure of success is how many people are quote-unquote covered, even if people are dropping off coverage by choice. Here is Gingrich ripping into the CBO.
1: They should abolish the Congressional Budget Office. It is corrupt. It is dishonest. It was totally wrong in Obamacare by huge, huge margins. I don't trust a single word they have published, and I don't believe them.
0: Okay, so, you know, that's a convenient answer. They were citing the CBO to talk about how Obamacare sucked five minutes ago, but what he's saying here is not completely false. I mean, I just said it five minutes ago. At the CBO, uh, its estimates on Obamacare are completely wrong, and so we have to take all of its estimates with a grain of salt. But it's interesting, because the reason he's ripping the CBO here is because he's very unhappy with the report. And the reason he's unhappy with the report is because the headlines are that millions of people are going to lose their coverage. Tom Price over at HHS working for Donald Trump, he says the exact same thing.
1: Uh, So we disagree strenuously uh, with with, with the report that was put out. We believe that our plan will cover more individuals at a lower cost and give them the choices that they want for the coverage that they want for themselves and for their family, not that the government forces them to buy.
0: Okay, finally, we have Paul Ryan. Okay, and Paul Ryan is going to go the absolute opposite direction. So he's going to say that the CBO report is great. Why? Because Paul Ryan and the Trump administration aren't on the same page. And Paul Ryan believes that the CBO report says the deficit is going to be reduced. So he says our chief goal here as the government should be to reduce the deficit and coverage. You know, that's up to the individual. So this is the difference between Trump's vision of what Trump care should be and Ryan's vision of what Trump care should be. The part that Ryan likes about Trump care is that Trump care cuts a lot of subsidies, uh, even while it provides new subsidies, which is why I hate it. it cuts some subsidies, and that 's why Ryan likes it. The reason that Trump doesn 't like, doesn't like Obamacare is because he doesn 't think it covers enough people, so they 're actually coming at this from different directions so here 's Paul Ryan saying he likes the CBO report.:
1: Well, actually, I think if you read this entire report i 'm pretty encouraged by it, and it actually exceeded my expectations
0: okay, and then he 's asked by Brett Baer. Well, what is a CBO report that you are discouraged by? What does that look like exactly?
1: Mr. Speaker, if you're encouraged by this CBO report, what's a CBO report you're discouraged by? (laughs) Oh, I've seen a lot. I've been reading them all half my life. But the point I'm saying is what CBO did was they validated. We are block granting Medicaid back to the States, saving $880 billion right there. This is an $883 billion tax cut for families and small businesses that helps lower their healthcare costs. And it saves money and reduces the deficit, so that's really good on all those points. Okay, so here's how but this w-
0: gap in perception is going to play out between Trump and Ryan, and it ain't good. Okay, the way this is going to play out is that Ryan is saying this bill is great because it lowers cost, and Trump is saying, well, the bill isn't that great if the CBO is saying that the that it, people lose their coverage. So the goal of Trump Care under Trump is increase the amount of coverage for people. The goal of Ryan in under Trump Care is lower the cost. This puts them at serious odds. I mean, this is not something that is going to hold together real well because now Trump doesn't like the headlines. And you can see Trump from that earlier clip that we played, you can see that Trump is uncomfortable even getting rid of Obamacare. So here's the great irony. Trump was elected to repeal and replace Obamacare. The reality is they could just repeal it. They could just get rid of it. And if they did, the CBO says that fewer people would actually lose their health insurance if they just got rid of Obamacare than if they replaced it with Trump Care. What's actually going to end up happening, in my in my opinion, is that this thing is going to die an ugly death. Paul Ryan and Ryan's Sprebus are going to be thrown under the bus by Trump, and you're going to get some actual infighting. And the person sitting on the sidelines enjoying all of this is, of course, Steve Bannon, the guy who spent his entire career over at Breitbart, talking about how Obamacare needed to die. He will end up being the one who ends up preserving Obamacare. That's the way this looks like this is going to go right now. And that's all because too many Republicans have bought into the idea that it is government's job to provide you your health insurance. If you believe that you're going to use that Democrat metric that— number of people who are covered by health insurance is the only metric that matters, whether it's public insurance or private insurance, doesn't matter, then you're going to end up at a place where the only plans that are embraced are ones that increase public insurance. Because the fact is, so long as there is choice, millions of people are not going to join a health insurance program. So long as there is choice and freedom, millions of people, for reasons bad and good, are going to decide that they don't want to pay those premiums. They'd rather have the money for something else. So you can't use the Democrat metric unless you want to end up with a Democrat solution. And yet that is exactly the metric that the Trump administration is using. It's not the metric that Ryan is using, but Ryan doesn't even know how to explain it. So when Ryan is asked about reductions in coverage, instead of him saying, look, freedom works how freedom works. And health insurance is not necessarily health care, which is why the life expectancy went down last year. It's why nationalized health care countries have universal coverage, but poor result. All of that is true. But the Republicans don't know how to argue that because they're using the Democrat metric. Once you buy into the Democrat metric, you end up with a Democrat solution. That's why Trump is angry at the CBO and trying to argue the CBO is wrong, even while Ryan is arguing the CBO is actually right, which means that it's all going to fall apart. Okay. Meanwhile, the media just continues not to know how to deal with Donald Trump. And I have to say that one of the reasons they don't know how to deal with Donald Trump and and the Trump administration is because the Trump administration is all over the place when it comes to to telling a story. So I think some of this is that they wouldn't know how to deal with any Republican. If it were Mitt Romney, they would be half, again, as as vitriolic and nasty. But I think that Trump does present some special challenges to people in the media to be a little bit fair. For example, here's Kellyanne Conway. Yesterday, she was talking about how Trump had said that he was surveilled by the Obama administration, and uh, she tried to explain what she meant by that.
1: What I can say is there are many ways to surveil each other now, unfortunately. Do you believe uh, there was that an, was- There was an article this week that talked about how you can surveil someone through their phones, through their, uh, certainly through their television sets, uh, any number of different ways, and microwaves that turn into cameras, et cetera.
0: What? <laughs> I'm not aware of microwaves that turn into cameras, Inspector Gadget. She, she later came out and she said, I didn't really mean that. Uh, Inspector Gadget is not me, which is a good line. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to fact check stuff when people say this kind of thing. So what Trump said was, if you recall, the, the media making a, being a big deal out of this. I don't think it's a big deal. I think Trump was mouthing off because that's what Trump does. And I think we all ought to get over it. Trump mouths off. Don't take him that seriously, because it's kind of obvious when he's just mouthing off. But Trump says, as you recall, that Obama wiretapped him. Now Sean Spicer is broadening that claim to claim that somebody surveilled him, but not using wiretap, and it wasn't necessarily Obama, which is a slightly different claim. Here's Sean Spicer.
1: Let's let's get back. I, I think there's two things that are important about what he said. I, I think recognizing that it's the Obama he doesn't really think that President Obama went up and tapped his phone personally. I think. think but but I think there's a there's no question that the Obama administration that there were actions about surveillance and other activities that occurred in the twenty sixteen election. That is a widely um reported activity that occurred back then. The president used the word wiretap in quotes to mean broadly surveillance and other activities uh, during that and that is again something, it is interesting how many news outlets reported that this activity taking place during the 2016 election cycle and now are wondering where the proof is. It's, it's, it is many of the same outlets in this room that talked about the activities that were going on back then.
0: And this is sort of the fight that's happening between the, the Trump administration and the press. The Trump Trump will say something that's off the wall but has a grain of truth to it if you actually stretch it. And then the press will say that it has no grain of truth to it at all. It's just crazy. And then it all falls apart. So it, 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 Sean Spicer continued along these lines, by the way. He, says, he was asked, how can you trust Trump, considering that he keeps changing his story? And listen to Spicer's answer.
1: When you're asking about the validity of the CBO report, again, I refer you to the CBO itself. The number that they issued that would be insured in 2016 was 26 million people. The actual number is 10 point, excuse me, 24 million. The actual number is 10.4. That's not a question of our credibility. It's a question of theirs. Do you have anything more? The bottom line is the question that you still have not answered is can you say affirmatively that whenever the president says something, we can trust it to be real? If he's not joking, of course. I mean, but that's, uh, that's
0: the caveat, right? It's always going to be if he's not joking, of course. And this is driving the left nuts because they can't tell when Trump is joking. So Jake Tapper on CNN, he says that, you know, this is this is craziness. How are we supposed to follow Trump around? We don't know what he's talking about.
1: Now, to recap, since those tweets nine days ago, this charge by the president has been called false by the director of the FBI, false by the former director of national intelligence and not one credible, informed source that we can find in Washington has said that the president's accusation is true. And I'm including Vice President Pence in that group. To say that members of the House Intelligence Committee are expecting reams of paper to prove this charge coming their way today, well, that would be doing a disservice to the members of that select committee. And we as The media are
0: losing their mind over this because they don't really know what to do, right? Shep Smith, and on Fox News, he says, well, we can't even quote Kellyanne Conway anymore because we don't know what the hell she's talking about to hand
1: over evidence to support his claim that President Obama tapped his phones. So far, there's absolutely nothing. But his senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, whom we really don't quote much anymore because, well, history, is noting that phones aren't the only way people spy on people. For instance, what about
0: televisions? And then she said, your microwave. Okay. (laughs) So Shep Smith's losing his mind, too. And it's just, you know, th- this is, unfortunately, I-, I think, how this is uh, how this is going to go from here on in. I think the media is going to go crazier and crazier. And some people on the right are happy with that because they say, OK, it's Trump trolling the media and they totally deserve it. There's something to that. But I, I think that at a certain point, we're just going to have to get down to brass tacks. If, if Trump and his spokespeople say things, they should attempt to be as literally true as possible. If they don't do that basic due diligence, I can't completely blame the media for being a little bit uncomfortable. Because, again, I don't know why you would trust the media to, to cover you properly when you can't even cover yourself properly. Okay, We have to stop and say thank you to our friends over at Birch Gold. If you are concerned that perhaps the economy is a little bit superheated right now, if you are not, if you think the economy is going to continue to go well, but you want to diversify for the future, now's a good time to go over to my friends over at Birch Gold. .com birchgold.com they can help you move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into precious metals. Precious metals have never been worth nothing and uh, they are indeed a safe hedge against a lot of the vicissitudes of the market. So check them out at birchgold.com/ben. They have a long-standing track record of success, thousands of satisfied clients, five-star reviews and A+ plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. If you contact them right now at birchgold.com/ben, they'll give you a 16-page comprehensive kit talking about how gold and silver can protect your savings. Ask all your questions. Get all your answers. You wouldn't want to put all your money in gold, but you should certainly have some of it in precious metals. And Birch Gold can help you do that. Birchgold.com slash Ben to check that out. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things I like. We've been doing plays this week, American Plays. And uh, this is sort of a, it's it's performed a lot, but it's sort of overlooked very often as a, as a great play. And that is uh, Our Town by Thornton Wilder. Uh, this, if, if you get to the third act and you're not openly weeping, then you're watching a really bad production of Our Town. The play itself is is about uh, the the history of this small town um, and people who have passed on, and they're still watching over the small town. It's all about the relationship between a girl and and her mother, uh, and it's it's just, it's, it's beautiful in many ways. Uh, the thing about trying to summarize plays like this without giving away the plot is there's not that much to say about them other than you should read it or you should go see it. But it is a slice of Americana and it does make you nostalgic for a time when there was a, a sense of community in America, a sense of community that's largely broken down in America's major cities as we continue to urbanize and polarize ourselves using Facebook and Twitter uh, and only interact with each other online. Uh, our Town is about the fact that it is our town and that America still is our town. And that means that we ought to have some sort of social fabric that that binds us to each other and binds us to our family uh, it is uh, it is a, a heartbreaking play, a very moving play our town uh, by Thornton Wilder okay, other things that I like so this video i just couldn 't stop laughing apparently uh, there is a a statue of Lenin and it was being transported uh, in in uh, a, i guess this was was being transported somewhere in Ukraine I think Uh, and uh, and this is the video of them trying to move the statue of Lenin it doesn't go well for, for old Vlad they're moving it they're moving it and boom (laughs) <laughs> okay, somebody lost their jobs, that's unfortunate, but they're trying to move the statue of Vladimir Lenin. they've got the, the cable tied around the chest of the statue, and, uh, and it slips up around his neck, so he's hanged, and then, uh, and then the head pops right off, which, uh, oh, that's just, that's glorious. If only that had happened to Vladimir Lenin in real life. Uh, Vladimir Lenin was a mass murderer and would have deserved every bit of this, you know, he imprisoned his people for 80 years in a gulag of hell. Uh so the good it, it's nice to see his symbol just you know take it really there is pretty spectacular <laughs> Oh I got to love that that's pretty pretty amazing I love how the head hits the ladder and just knocks it over and goes flying off uh, you can only hope that, uh, that somewhere the spirit of Vladimir Lenin is boiling, uh, boiling in hell and, uh, and enjoying the, the images of his statues being ripped down. So that is pretty spectacular. Okay, uh, time, for, uh, time for some things I hate. I love that video so much. It's great. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So you have been hearing, no doubt, about this uh, Michael Brown thing. You, you've been hearing, I'm sure, about uh, the idea that Michael Brown was innocent. Right. He was innocent! He was an innocent! He was the sainted, gentle giant. And then you remembered, well, didn't he strong-arm rob a store? Didn't he, I mean, didn't he actually, like, walk into a store, and there was video of it. He, like, walked up to an owner, he grabbed some cigarillos from behind the counter, he's a giant guy, and he, like, grabbed the, the cigarillos and then pushed the guy down, Right. Well, now there is new footage that has been revealed, uh, and this is apparently severely edited from a new documentary called Stranger Fruit, and the director is a guy named Jason Pollock. and the video shows Michael Brown entering the convenience store at 1 a.m. the day of his death, handing a small bag to some employees. The employees smell the bag and hand it around, and Brown is given two boxes of cigarillos, and as he's leaving, he turns around and he hands the cigarillos back to the clerks uh, to allegedly store behind the counter. So the idea is that the clerks uh, took the cigarillos, put them behind the counter for him to pick up later. So according to Pollock. The bag contained pot, and the exchange was prearranged. It was a drug deal. If your defense to Michael Brown was a strong-arm robber, is Michael Brown was a drug dealer? That's not a strong defense. Also, the impl- the employer, like the owner, was not in on this, right? The, the under under uh, the, the employer obviously is not in on this. I mean, you can see the tape. He he, you know, Brown goes and grabs the cigarette. So, here is the way this works, folks. If I steal a piece of property. And I trade it to you. But I don't give it to you. Right? I say to you, You know what? I'm going to trade you you are going to give me a baggie of pot, and in return, I'm going to give you Mathis's car. So just go over to you just go over to Mathis' house tomorrow and take possession of Mathis' car. That is still robbery. If Mathis comes out and you punch him in the face, you shouldn't, because Mathis is a tough hombre. But let's say you did that. That would still make you a strong-arm robber, right? The fact that you think you own the car doesn't mean you own the car. You didn't actually trade with Mathis. You traded with me, and I didn't own the car. So I was selling a piece of property that I didn't own. So if these people actually didn't own the cigarillos, which they apparently didn't. They just worked at the store. And that was not a legit trade. It's not like Michael Brown could then go go to the courts of law and say, Well, I traded them pot, and then they didn't give me my cigarillos. Like, that would not work. That would not work. So he assaulted an innocent guy. And this doesn't mean that he didn't insult, assault. He still assaulted an innocent guy. He was just a drug dealer while he did it. So I'm not sure how this is a wonderful defense to Michael Brown being a wonderful human being. Like I don't, I don't get it. I mean, forgive me if I don't understand how selling pot in exchange for cigarillos that were stolen and then actually going in and taking possession of them by by knocking over a dude is uh, is. Pretty. uh, I don't don't see how that makes you a better human being. Plus, let's be real about this. The real reason that he was shot was not because he, quote-unquote, stole the cigarillos. It's because he assaulted a police officer, attempted to shoot the police officer with his own gun, and then charged the police officer. Now, that was the reason why the cop pulled him over in the first place, is because he was suspected in a strong-arm robbery, but that's not the reason he was shot. Lots of people are suspected in robbery who don't get shot, it turns out. Okay, other things that I hate... Some idiot. People on the left just do not understand science in in many ways, and this is a shocking example. There's a Texas bill that would outlaw male uh, self-pleasuring. Why? Why would it outlaw this? Well, because HB 4260, titled the Man's Right to Know Act, allows doctors to refuse to give men vasectomies and Viagra prescriptions if it conflicts with their personal, moralistic, or religious beliefs, and there must be cons- consultation for at least 24 hours previous to any vasectomy or Viagra prescription, and establishes a civil penalty for uh, for auto stimulation. Why? Because they're trying to they're they're trying to, to equate auto stimulation with um, with abortion. Which makes sense if you are a clinical moron. Okay, It turns out that once the baby is conceived and has a separate life of its own, that is not the same thing as sperm. It is not the same thing as an egg. Once you combine the sperm and the egg, something happens. Something different happens. But you know the left doesn't believe this, and so they believe that, a, that basically they're essentially arguing that a sperm cell is the same thing as a seven-month-old baby in the womb, which is totally, totally crazy. Uh, and I guess this is supposed to be some sort of this is some sort of joke? I thought it's supposed to be some sort of satire. But in order for satire to work, it actually has to have a grain of truth with it. It can't just be science that is completely stupid pushed by people who are completely stupid. So that is that's very exciting. OK, let's do a little bit of deconstructing the culture. So this was making the rounds yesterday. Snoop Dogg, Snoop Lion, Snoop. Snoop, animal of unspecified gender, uh, has released a new music video. And this is a music video targeting the cops, and of course, Donald Trump is making the rounds because Snoop Dogg in it uh, portrays a, a clown dressed as Donald Trump being shot at close range. And this is creating all sorts of, of problems for, for Snoop, lion, dog, otter. Uh, here's Snoop Dogg, lion, otter rapping about it. Trip,
1: yeah. Cut them off the leash.
0: It's been a week since
1: my dogs ain't let him meet. See, I'm going to tell you up front and uncut. See, I'm going to stand up.
0: I'm a man up. Get. When the night will fall, this is down to you
1: all. When the night on, time falls, this will fight.
0: And there's Snoop holding up Donald Trump, and then pretending to shoot him, pretending to assassinate Trump, and then they've got him chained up. If you can't see, and passing around a cigar, but not giving it to Trump because Trump wants their cigar. So that's just wonderful. Uh, they've got a they've got a girl in the background holding a baseball bat with nails through it, standing next to the clown president of the United States. And um, this uh, is not good. Uh, If they had done this about, imagine somebody had cut this video about President Obama and and shown somebody attempting to assassinate President Obama and then chaining him up. Would the media be laughing today or would they be going nuts today? His lyrics are also awful. It's, It's trying to keep from dying in these MFing streets. F the police from a black man's point of view. Resident Evil, it's all on camera and they still don't believe you. First of all, terrible song. Second of all, Snoop Dogg has a serious history with the law, okay? If if you actually look, I'm going to look up his criminal record, okay? Let's look up Snoop Dogg's criminal record right this very instant. He was convicted in 1990 of felony drug possession and possession for sale. The rapper also faces charges from an incident in 2007 at John Wayne Airport when a collapsible police baton was found in his computer bag. So he has a, a not insignificant uh criminal history. He was also arrested in connection with the uh with the death of um who, who did he kill? He didn't kill anybody, but he was he was arrested. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the exact wording. He, okay, so shortly after, this is from Wikipedia, so. Shortly after graduating from high school, he was arrested for possession of cocaine and for the following three years was frequently in and out of prison. Snoop, along with his cousins Nate Dogg and little one-half-dead and friends Warren G., recorded homemade tapes, and uh, he was also arrested um, for, in connection with the death of Philip Wolder Merriam, a member of a rival gang who was shot and killed by Snoop's bodyguard, McKinley Lee, in 1993 while he was recording Doggy Style. He was charged with murder, along with Lee, as he was driving the vehicle from which the shooting had commenced. They were defended by Johnny Cochran. They were acquitted. Lee was acquitted on grounds of self-defense. Snoop Dogg remained entangled in the legal battles around the case for three years. He was also arrested for—he uh, was stopped for a traffic violation, and a firearm was found by police while conducting a search of his car, and he pled guilty. Uh, he was arrested for possession of a firearm in 2006. He was arrested a- again in 2006— uh, in because he was creating a problem at an airport, I guess. He he has a long history with the law, in other words. So this idea that the police are the ones who are mistaken, and it's not you being a repeat criminal. I don't think that Snoop Dogg has a lot to talk about here in terms of police brutality and how terrible the police are, and I certainly don't think he has a lot to talk about about how the police are the bad guys when he's cutting a video shooting Donald Trump in the head. I have have a pretty, you know, if you're going to talk about people who are violent— or who, are, or who are encouraging a climate of violence, I think that you might want to start with this Snoop Dogg video instead of starting with the cops who are actually out there protecting people from people who attempt to shoot people dressed as the President of the United States. Okay, we'll be back with more tomorrow, more updates on Trumpcare. We'll see how this whole thing shakes out. It doesn't look good at this point, folks. It doesn't look good, but we'll bring you the latest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Should mean you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no 4 line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just thirty five bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, fifteen gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost thousand dollars a year. So.